Sales Tuners, Episode 70. Jill Conrath, sales strategist and author of Agile Selling. I mean, the reality is they should be figuring out, mapping out the sales process ahead of time, like they map out the product development process and everything else they're doing. Sales is not magic. This is Sales Tuners with Jim Brown. The only weekly show where we talk about the behaviors, attitudes, and techniques that get sales reps and entrepreneurs to grow their revenue from $1 million to more than $10 million in just two years. All I do is win, 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 no matter what. Got money on my mind, I can never get enough. And every time I step up in the building, everybody hands go up. It's time. It's time. It's Sales Tuners time. I'm Jim Brown, your host, and our weekly inspiration comes from William Pollard, who said, learning and innovation go hand in hand. The arrogance of success is to think that what you did yesterday will be sufficient tomorrow. Today, I'm excited to be joined by a woman whom Salesforce named as one of the top seven sales influencers of the 21st century. Jill Conrath is the best-selling author of four books, Snap Selling, Agile Selling, Selling to Big Companies, and most recently, more sales, less time. We got lucky with the timing of this episode as we were Jill's last interview before she goes off the grid in what she calls monk mode. Before we dive in, I want to say a quick thank you to our sponsors. All right, sales sooners. You've heard me talk about them for a couple of months now, but you have to check out Costello. It's a deal management platform that aligns frontline sales reps, managers, and VPs so they can work together to consistently close more deals. They help reps get the right deal information from prospects, give reps and managers visibility into the quality of every deal, and help sales leaders understand what's working and what's not. Check it out at andcostello.com. That's A-N-D-C-O-S-T-E-L-L-O.com. All right. Make sure you stick around until the end where I'll give my recap and top takeaways. You can also check out all the links and show notes at salestuners.com slash 70. But now let's get to the conversation where Jill describes her self-described condition of addictive crossword puzzle and words with friends disorder. I want to make a difference in my work. And so I am constantly throwing myself into study sales challenges and to figure out what works and then to share it with the world and the people who don't like to go into the problem. I like the challenge of finding new answers to problems people face. With the four books, the, the thousands of articles, the keynote speeches, you've had no problem sharing that with others. But real quick, I also, there's a rumor out there that you're really good at Words with Friends. So I've got to ask, how many games <laughs> do you have going right now? I limit myself to about 10. Here's the real question. Are you willing to share your handle so that some of the sales tuners out there can challenge you to a game? No, I'm not. <laughs> Mm-mm. No, I have to limit myself because otherwise it's, I have addictive crossword puzzle and, and um, words with friends disorder. And that means I could spend my whole life doing that. So I, I limit the number of games I play. Look, I know some of the things that you talk about uh, in your most recent book and some of the articles you've written is how to get rid of distractions in our life so that we can actually <laughs> spend more time uh, yes. focused on the priorities <laughs> that we have. So fair enough. There was going to be somebody, one of the sales leaders specifically that I was going to call out to challenge you to game, but uh, I, will not, uh, I will not keep pressing for that. Jill, in this show, we talk about the behaviors, attitudes, and techniques that have led to your success. So talk to me about how you spend your day today and and why does a typical customer actually buy from you? How do I spend my day today is not how I would spend my day if I was in a different mode, if that makes any sense at all. 
right now I'm in a mode where I'm going to be changing gears. And so I'm more of an exploratory mode. So I'm blocking out some significant time to read and explore and to think, which is my monk mode mentality that I'm going into. And I'll be doing things because I want to change the game and change things up in the upcoming year or two or three. So that's where I'm at today. But usually when I was normal and, um, doing my work. I mean, my day would start with just sitting down quietly and figuring out what do I want to do with the day and then, you know, what's most important and then getting on with it. But my work includes, um, you know, writing is a real big part of my day. Um, when I go out and do training or speaking, I'm always talking to people about what they're doing and, and how they're doing things. And so I always find new challenges. I sit and think about them. I research them. I spend a lot of time doing that because that's what's interesting to me. Jill, you haven't always been the, the woman that you are today. Take me way back. Like, how did you even get into... <laughs> <I always have. laughs> fair enough. But how did you get into sales? What, what was the, the, the precipice behind that? I was a high school teacher who was like incredibly bored being a high school teacher. I tried to find a job I liked and I couldn't find anything. So I decided to start a company. And I spent a year researching and coming up with a business plan for a company, a service business that I wanted to start. We roped a couple of friends in with me and we went to the Service Corps of Retired Executives with our business plan to get some feedback at that time. And the, the guy who was from General Mills, a retired marketing guy, said to, to us, this is really an excellent plan. Your timing is right. I, I, I believe you guys can pull this thing off. And then he looked at the three of us and he said, now, which one of you three is going to be going into sales? It's going to be doing the sales. And I was sort of the driving force behind it. And I looked at him um, in an accusing manner and I leaned forward and I said, I thought you said this was a good idea. And he said, it <laughs> is, but somebody's got to sell it. So I said, well, we're going to have to talk about this. And so we did, my friends and I, not in front of him, but after, I mean, I drew the short straw because I was most passionate about it. And I said to my friends, all right, I will go into sales for one year. That's it. I will learn everything I need to know about this ugly thing um, in one year's time, and then I'll come back and start the company. But I had so much fun when I got into sales, which surprised the living daylights out of me, that I ended up staying in there in sales my entire career. I don't know too many teachers that leave the teaching profession to go start businesses, right, directly. And then to not only do that, but then go into sales and love it. So what was it that you <laughs> loved that uh, kept, kept you hooked? I really like learning new things, first of all. And so I had given myself a challenge to learn sales in one year. Okay, so I had to become like the ultimate sponge, while I was there. And I, ha I read everything I could. I studied other, what other people are doing. I traveled with other people. Every time I heard them on the phone, I was like, why are you doing that? You know, how else? And I was constantly learning. So I was in an enormous learning mode. And, and then when I'd be out making calls, I was always calling on different people every day. And it was fascinating to me. It's like, oh, God, you know, I used to be in a te you know, classroom. Now I'm talking to an accountant. Now I'm talking to a manufacturer of windows. Now I'm talking to, you know, somebody who makes this. It was like, this is like really fun. And here's the other thing too, when you throw yourself in and commit yourself to being a learner, um, what you don't do is you don't let mistakes bother you. Mistakes become just, well, of course I don't know that I'm in the learning mode, you know? So I never got down on myself because I was just learning. And so I could just say, well, that didn't work. What else would work? Or who else can I talk to? Who might have some ideas for me? And I was constantly learning and growing. It was extraordinarily challenging and fun because I, I guess I approached it sort of as a game. 
How do reps today keep that same mantra of, of course, I don't know that I'm in learning mode when, you know, quota is breathing down their neck from, from day one when they started a new company? I think the real important thing, first of all, is to be real candid about everything from the start and say, I am a learner, and to find out what is the average time it takes to become proficient in the, in the job. I mean, the reality is if you get hired at any company, there is a time to get better. And some companies, it might be three months, and other companies, it might be nine to 12 months till you're at quota. And one of the most discouraging things for new reps is when they hit the three-month mark, and, and it's a nine month to quota or a 12 month to proficiency, they get really discouraged because, oh God, it's not working. It's not working. And I must not be cut out for this. But the reality is, research, you know, it takes nine to 12 months to get to quota. So if you know that from the onset, then you can just simply say it yourself. And the, a boss should be working with you at this point too, but they often don't. But literally be saying, no, I'm in learning mode. I, you know, it takes a year to get to proficiency or nine months to get to proficiency. I need to keep learning. I need to figure it out. I need to keep learning. I am not failing. I just haven't learned it yet. I love the word yet. I love that word as well. But I want to hone in on this. I know, you know, you've spent a lot of time working with, you know, young companies and, and kind of like startup companies as well. I, I have a client and maybe I'm, I, and I'll just be honest. I'm asking this question for myself. I agree, Joe, with everything that you just said, but I have a client right now who just recently hired a rep that everyone at the table, including myself, said this is the person's going to be good. Uh, we're six weeks into this person and the CEO of the company is ready to fire them. And I am just, my mind is blown because I know that it takes a minimum of of six months uh, to really, truly yeah. ramp up a new person. And let alone this person is coming from the SDR position to become an AE for the first time. If you were me, what would you say to the rep? And then what would you say to the CEO of this company? First thing I do is talk to the CEO. <laughs> Sorry, not the rep. It ain't the rep's problem here. He's, you know, he or she is doing the best they can. I'd say to the CEO, do you have any idea what the ramp time is? I mean, I'd have a very honest conversation. You are expecting something that is impossible to deliver. And if you don't allow this person and set it up so that they have a learning process, you are going to get yourself into a downward spiral because you're going to bring somebody on. You're going to be disappointed that, you know, in six weeks, they're not making quota when it takes six months and you're going to get all over this person's back and then they're going to let them go. Then you have to hire another salesperson and, you know, go through the whole thing over and over again. But there's not miracle. I mean, I have a straight and candid conversation with the CEO about the realities of sales and what it really takes to do to do it. The other thing I'd say is you need to map out what people have to learn. You just can't throw people in this position. You need to know what they should be saying, what they should be doing. There should be a clear progression. If you're not doing this, you're hoping for a savior. And you know, a salesperson isn't a savior. They're a human being who hasn't learned this position yet. It feels like Jill in the in the startup space, and I mean true startup. You know, they're in their their seed funding round that that they are kind of expecting miracles. They expect to hire a sales rep who comes with a a fully baked uh, you know book of business with them and starts closing almost on day one. And, and I've been with too many companies now to know that that is not reality. Does it work at the absolute minimum? At the absolute minimum, they need three months just to ramp up into your product and the way that you sell then they need to be able to build their pipeline and then they need to have an, an average sales cycle, whatever time that is, to start to work through that sales cycle. But too many of these CEOs are like, well, no, I, I need you to produce on day one. Like we can't, we're, we're going to run out of money and you know, all this kind of stuff. Well, let me just say, I mean, if that's a situation for a salesperson, I would tell them, don't go to that company. 
seriously, unrealistic expectations, you are going to fail. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I'm really frank with people these days. And because the truth of the matter is, the expectations of those CEOs are wrong. They're, they're, they're hopeful. They, they want that savior to come down and, and figure out how to sell. I mean, the reality is they should be figuring out, mapping out the sales process ahead of time. Like they map out the product development process and everything else they're doing. Sales is not magic. Sales is not magic. It takes time. And, and to be really frank with people until they figure that out, that sales is not magic, that it's a process, that it takes time. Here are the steps. Here's what we have to do. Here's how we have to train them. Here's what they need to know. I mean, again, they tell people all about their stuff, what they're selling, but they don't necessarily say, and here's our buyer, and here are the issues, and here's what they're currently using, and here's the issues and challenges they're facing today, and here's the business ramifications of those is- issues and challenges, and here's the 17 people involved in the buying process, and you know, here's where we start, and here's where we go, and I mean, this has to all be mapped out, and it is not easy, it's complex. One of the things that you said there that I absolutely love, uh, sales is not magic. Uh, I'm going to take that. I'm going to use it pretty much everywhere now because, uh, yes, you're absolutely right. It's, it's so frustrating to think that you can just show up and magically make something appear out of out of nothing. So well, I think a lot of entrepreneurs, I mean, and I've dealt like with a lot of people before that are growing companies and they're really excited and they put their heart and soul into creating this new product or service that they're going to market with. And, and they expect that, I mean, they, they love their baby so much and it is their baby. They love their baby so much. They expect to be able to go out and show their baby to other people and have everybody else go, Oh God, what a cute child. I wanted one just like that. But, and ooh and awe and all that. Yeah, oh, oh, how soon can I get your little baby? But the truth of the matter is, is that, you know, I mean, it's like looking at the neighbor down the street's new grandchild or a new kid, you know, like you really don't care about it. somebody else's baby, you still care about your own business and what's going on. And, and so you have to teach entrepreneurs themselves how to talk about what they're doing in a way that is of value to the the clients. Joe, one of the things that you've that I've read and in multiple things that you've written that I admire is you say that sales is not an activity profession. Sales is a thinking profession. I know you're spending a quite a bit of your time right now thinking about what's next for you, but talk to me about that and maybe again from the, the the aspect of a new rep at a company that's trying to learn everything. How do they spend their day thinking when everyone around them is thinking about activity? They're put in a real conundrum if everybody's thinking activity. And let me just say, first of all, that I believe new reps need to do more of everything than a more experienced rep because they are not so good at it. (laughs) You know, and they need to make more calls to get an appointment or they need to have more meetings to get to the next step because their proficiency is low. But how how do you do it? You there, there is a balance that you have to do, but you have to focus on certain aspects of the sales process to get started. And certainly you don't have any prospects when you start out. So you need to focus on becoming proficient at prospecting. And you need to pick something at that point where prospecting proficiency is your number one goal. And it's, and to me, it's like, it's important to see your numbers that you make X number of calls or you send out X number of emails and you need to get a sort of a baseline, but then your whole goal should be like, how can you do fewer of them? and get the same results. When you look at 2018, what is the prospecting activities that are actually breaking through the clutter and getting prospects to say, yeah, you know what, I'll, I'll, I'll pay attention to this. They're short, they're simple, they're sweet, they're to the point. <laughs> they're, they're none of that gobbledygook about what you're selling, you know, and how wonderful your company is. And you're, you're the leading edge state of the art, you know, 
blah, blah, blah. Um, they're really very much focused on the fact that you work with companies that are certain, you know, that you help deliver X number of results or like for me, many years I worked as a consultant and I worked with companies that were launching new products. And so I could easily call people up and say, look, in my work with VPs of marketing, one of the biggest issues they face is at launching new products is that the sales force is so slow on the uptake. <laughs> you know, I mean, that was true. It was an issue that my targeted customer faced. And then I could just simply say, I've got some ideas or here's something you might want to read that could be helpful for you as you progress. But it's, I mean, it's, it's like you're talking to a human being, not a prospect. You're focused on what matters to them. It's short, it's sweet, it's a combination of email, voicemail, um, and perhaps other methods as well, too. And, you know, connecting with them and studying them on LinkedIn and any place else you can learn about who they are and knowing what's important. I mean, there's so many things that are involved. It's not just simply a numbers game where you just make a bunch of calls using the same old words on every single call or sending out 3,000 emails, the same stupid email that doesn't get responses. I mean, that's to me insanity. You know, I, I think like many, I read Aaron Ross's Predictable Revenue several years ago and thought this book is absolutely amazing. Let's go, uh, you know, scale this, this organization, scale these emails, scale this outbound. And what we've turned into as an industry is exactly what you just said. It's like how many hundreds of thousands of emails can we just blast out that say the exact same thing and don't work? They don't work. No, they don't work. And nobody stops to do it. They just say, we need another list. We need more. We need more names. Ramp up the marketing. We got to get more people in our database that we can do the same stupid email to, again, as opposed to sitting down and say, "What can we do that would be more effective?" I mean, to me, there is a huge effectiveness component in this thing, and that's the thinking part. You know, what do we need to do? What else can we change? I mean, what if you get your team together and say, "Let's spend the week experimenting with different emails." And not send out so many, but see if we send them out, see if we can get different responses. What if you create a little competition among salespeople to create something different to see what might result? What if you give them parameters and say, okay, you've got 70 words. Let's all work within a 70-word parameter. That 70 words after John, hi, Sarah, you know, after that and your sign-off, you've got 70 words. What are you going to say in there? Let's all do some experimentation. I mean, to me, why not try experimenting to see if things deliver better results? I mean, I've had people, I wrote Snap Selling, which is my second book. And I remember when I wrote it, I included a story in there about somebody who'd read my first book called Selling to Big Companies, which is all about how to set up conversations with corporate decision makers. And I mean, I had somebody say to me, I didn't believe it when I read Selling to Big Companies, that that could happen. But I pretty much took your email template and used it. And within eight minutes, the CEO of a company got back to me. From an email? From an email. A cold email, but a well-researched one, but a very targeted, focused on that company and what that person had done, you know, and what that person saw as a gap because that person understood the customer. They understood the challenges they were facing. They knew what to look for when they were doing their research and they had crafted a very strong email and the person came back and I featured it in my snap selling book because I also talk about some of that. You know, it happens. It happens. And I talked to, I mean, another guy who used some of the strategies in, in selling to big companies was selling printing and printing is a commodity business. And he was just getting nowhere. He, I think he told me he'd made over 2,000 calls with virtually no success and emails. And then he read it and, he, and, you know, it's like if you're in printing, how do you compete? And so he decided, because I said one of the things you can do is specialize. 
you know, and to pick an aspect of the printing business where you can be good, become good at. And he said, okay, I'm going to be a specialist in menus. I don't know why he picked that, but he spent three months researching menus and learning all about menus. And he started reaching out to some of the biggest restaurant chains. And it was actually getting conversations with the VP of marketing because he had gone to, not only had he done research on what worked in menus, and he had tracked the restaurant chains and found out who were introducing new signature dishes and stuff like that. And he had ideas what would work, which font styles he'd actually gone out and gotten their menu. <laughs> And he was getting into the VP of marketing when everybody else was sent to purchasing to deal with the printing aspect of it. I'm totally seeing that, Jill. It, it's it's a commodity, and that's why they're being sent over to you know purchasing. But if you actually come with creative ideas, well thought out, well researched, the VP of of marketing is interested in that. They're looking for that expertise. They want to have that conversation. Yeah, he was getting in Red Lobster and big companies like that, and and you know getting deals that. Um, his competitors were totally missing. But because he became a specialist and didn't just decide to to go after the printing business, he went after restaurants and became a specialist in that. And then he leveraged that expertise to to really drive revenue up. So people don't think that it's about thinking, they, it's about numbers. But honestly, when you know more about your clients, you know where to target your, yourself, you know what their issues are, you can have interesting and intelligent conversations that are extraordinarily compelling. But most people just want you to make more calls. And that is, to me, a good way to waste a lot of time. It's something that I'm trying my hardest to figure out in my position as a sales coach, how to get CEOs to better understand that. Because when they walk in and, you know, I've had David Delaney on the show and he talks about the the, the, the silent sales floor and the problems that that's creating and stuff like that. But if we actually do spend a little bit of, I don't know, I'm not talking about months. I'm not even talking about weeks. I'm sp- let's spend a couple of days and say, these are the two verticals that we're going to go after for the next month. Here are all the business challenges that they have specifically related to the product that we can help solve. How do they talk about that? I, I had one of my clients, Jill, they, I, I just said, look, we're going to pick an industry and here's what I want you to do. I want you to call 10 people. Each of you are going to have 10 conversations. So you can't stop calling until you have 10 conversations. And all I want you to say is, guys, I'm new to my job. I'm trying to figure out some of the problems that you guys have around XYZ space. Would you be willing to have a five minute conversation with me? I'm not selling anything. And they were able to do this. And the amount of information they were able to gather in the words of their direct prospect was simply incredible. And not only that, because there, there was four reps. So out of the 40 conversations they had, seven of those 40 said, now, what is it that you actually sell? <laughs> and they became wow. prospects. And so I said to them, I said, look, you know, the whole goal of this was just to hear how the prospects talk about it in their words. But if you got seven out of 40 to become leads, how about you just keep having the same conversation? That's pretty darn good. Quit trying to sell and try to educate and learn and be inquisitive. Jill, I know something that you have really focused a lot of your time in is, is asking questions and getting to ask the right questions and then finding ways to frame questions in order to gain credibility. How do you put in the work to get to that level personally? Well, let me take you back to high school, okay? I read in Seventeen magazine that if you wanted a guy to like you and to ask you out on a date, or if you were on a date and you wanted to get a second date with somebody, that the key to success with a guy was asking good questions. Okay. Okay. Did you know this? I I did not know this, but I'm I'm intrigued. If I would get asked out for a date, I would look at the person 
that I was going out with and I would go, okay, well, he's on the soccer team. <laughs> he's in band and plays the trombone and, you know, he's got a funny shirt. I wonder where he got that. And I would create a list of 10 questions to ask him when I went on, on a date to find out about who he was as a person, but they would be related to what I could identify. It's the stuff you can find on LinkedIn today, okay? But I would just do it in high school and what I could observe and what clubs or organizations or whatever he did. And I would have, I would put a list of 10 questions and then we'd go out on a date and I'd have these questions in my purse. And I had thought about them ahead of time and even the sequence that they made sense to be asked. And then I would just ask them. And if I would get stuck, I would go to the bathroom and pull out my list. So then I'd come back out with some fresh questions. But invariably, the guys would say to me at the end of the evening, it has been so much fun to talk with you, Jill. We have so much <laughs> in common. And I go, you know, you don't know anything about me, <laughs> you know, but I sure know everything about you. You've been talking the whole night. And then they say, would you like to go out again? Well, anyway, that same thing can be said for customers. Um, really good questions. Get them talking about what matters to them. And... As you're, they're talking about what matters to them, they start developing a relationship with you. They don't want to talk with you as a salesperson about fishing, really, but they do want to talk with you about the problem that they're having over here. And a lot of salespeople, especially young ones, are afraid to ask about problems. They feel like, God, you know, I, that's like rude and invasive. But the answer is the truth of the matter is they really wouldn't be talking to you if they didn't want things to get better. To have some questions, I mean, you can map out um, a series of questions on any particular sales challenge or any particular challenge that your customers might be having. And, and you can literally map out questions. You know, you can say, and, and a good question will start out something like this. Based on my experience working with other people in your profession or other VPs of sales or other chief financial officers, one of the biggest issues they're facing now is this, this, and this. Or these are the three biggest issues. Which is the one that is of highest priority for your organization? That kind of question shows intelligence about the client because you know what their key priorities are. And then it helps you define what is, uh, what is their priority because they have this is their question. So now that you know that this is their priority, then you can ask, set up a whole series of questions around that particular priority in terms of, well, what are you doing currently to address that priority? What have you tried in the past? What what are your plans for uh, 2018 as you go forward to address that priority? Where are you running into bottlenecks? And again, you know, based on my experience in, in working with other clients, this issue typically has this kind of impact. Are you experiencing that? How is that affecting you? So you can set up a whole conversation around a particular priority or an issue that a client might be facing. Most people don't realize that. You can create that list of 10 questions that I took into the restaurant for the date. You can create that list of 10 questions for your salespeople. Conversational, not, not checklist. So I can, you know, so I feel like I'm talking to you and going question one, question two, question three. It shouldn't be like that. It should be conversational. And role plays are essential in order to make that happen. You, you said so much there that is extremely valuable. One of the things that I've always told, you know, my clients is the greatest presentation that you will ever give is the one your prospect never sees. Uh-huh. And what I mean by that is what you just said. If you actually ask great questions, and, and again, you have to pre prepare for this. You cannot just go in and wing it. You have to know these questions going in. But if you start to showcase with the questions that you ask, the level of thought you've put into the conversation you're having, they want to talk to that salesperson. They want to talk to them all day long. They absolutely do. They absolutely do. 
And most people don't realize that. They still want their salespeople to tell them about what we can do. No, no. Ask them about what's the issue, what they're trying to achieve, what bottlenecks they're running into. Suggest issues that other clients typically face. It's interesting, Joe, that you compared this to dating and then I totally see it. But the way you even framed that, you said, hey, you know, you got to the end of the date and the guy's like, Jill, we just had so much fun. You know, I, I felt like we had a great time. And you're like, well, you, you don't know anything about me. Yeah, they, that, they even said we have so much in common. They'd say that. Not even just fun. But it was common. It's like, whoa. But like, but like you said, the, the, our prospects will do the same thing because when you do that to them, they think, oh, my gosh, this guy gets me. He's my type. He, that's, that's my style. You know, that's my person. He's worked with other people like me. Oh, I don't have to go through this again. Yes, he has ideas. Yes, yes, that's exactly what happens. And that's that level of true bonding and rapport. Like you said, we don't want to talk about going fishing together. Like, let's talk about the things that matter to you as, as the buyer. Jill, we're, we're getting short on time, but there's one thing that I wanted to talk about. You, you've told me in the past, you don't set goals. You set intentions. I want to better understand that. What do you, what do you mean by that? Because I, I hear all the time, you know, you got to set goals. You got to write them down. But, but you don't do that. No, I don't. And, and I gave that up a long time ago because I found that goals, I don't know. They just didn't inspire me, you know, and, and, and I know that you need to with salespeople and stuff, but a lot of people set goals that are too far away and, and then they become impossible to reach. And I see sales goals oftentimes as demotivators to people typically within three months of a new job or whatever, three months, six months of the year, they see themselves falling behind. One of the things and I'm talking now as a business leader myself, I don't have specific growth goals for my company, but I have, I just keep working. I know what I'm trying to do. I know what my intention is. My intention is to have significant impact on the small and medium business community. And my intention is, and by the way, if anybody goes to my website, it'll be readily apparent. My intention is to share my expertise with, with people freely and to make good money doing that. That's my intention. So I give away a whole lot. And believe it or not, I am wide open to a lot of ways to make good money doing that. And I have found increasingly interesting revenue streams that I would never, ever have found that are now probably 50, over 50% of my business that no one even knows that, that, that I'm making money that way. And yet it's just, it's elegant, an elegant way to make money. But that's because I didn't set a goal of selling X amount of dollars in speaking and training and X amount of dollars of product sales and X amount of dollars of this. I just am trying to have a bigger and bigger impact on people. And when I say bigger and bigger impact, I am trying to have a broader impact. So I just keep moving toward that goal, that intention. And there's no specific thing. That sounds strange, but it works for me. No, I'm, I'm intrigued by that. One of the things, you know, I, I gave up New Year's resolutions many, many years ago. I don't do New Year's resolutions. I believe yeah. that if you're going to make a change, just make the change. It doesn't matter that it's on January 1st. Similar to you, Jill, I, I came up with themes for my years. And so themes, bingo. Yeah, that's like that. And and two years ago, my my theme was intentionality. So everything that I wanted for that year, just just be intentional. You can do whatever you want. Just be intentional about what it is that you're doing. I think that's a perfect place, Jill, to, to take a quick break so that I can say thank you to my sponsors. Thank you so much for sharing that. But you don't go away and sales sooners, you don't go away there. We'll be right back. Pipedrive is the sales CRM built by salespeople for salespeople. I love it because it allows me to visualize my pipeline, highlighting opportunities and potential problems, ensuring I don't drop the important activities and conversations needed. And the managers I work with love it because it's simple and they don't have to nag their team to actually use it. 
But Sales Sooners, don't just take my word for it. You can check it out for yourself for free for 30 days at salesooners.com slash pipe drive. We're back and it's time for the money round. Jill, are you ready for the money round? Oh, I'm scared to death. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> What's the one thing that has contributed most to your transformation from normal to exceptional? I have created an upward spiral, a continuous upward spiral, except for a few downward spirals because I keep on learning because I refuse to let failure define me because I just say, okay, that didn't work out. <laughs> what else can I try? You know, I just keep learning. If you were to start over today in sales, what would you tell yourself to spend the next 30 days doing? Learning all about the customer. First and foremost, what is their business? Who is the target market? What do I need to know about their business? What, who are the decision makers involved in the buying process? What, how are they doing things today? What are the issues and challenges they're facing? What else do they have to do besides what I sell them? Um, how can my product or service improve their organization? It would be all about them. Two-part question for you here. Which phrase describes you best and why? I love to win or I hate to lose. I don't know. I think more I hate to lose. That sounds weird. But I think a lot of people would say that. I just, I like to be in the top 5% of everything I do. So if I'm not in the top 5%, then I'm not happy. But I, you know, I think if you take a look at research, it says people don't like the negative. They'll, <laughs> they'll, they'll avoid the negative uh, more than they'll go for the positive, I think. You know, the pain. I don't want to lose. No, I want to be in the, but I, but I strive to be in the top 5% of every, everything I've ever done. I strive to be in the top 5%. And I'm real clear about that, but I don't have to be number one. Let me just tell you that I don't have to be number one. I just have to be in the top 5%. That's good enough for me. Jill, what's a book that you've read multiple times or always find yourself recommending to others? There's a couple books. There's one in terms of uh, the, just a kind of a how I want to live my life book, and it's called I Will Not Die an Unlived Life, which is a, a kind of a woman's book. So that's one thing, but I will not die an unlived life. You can expect me to keep on going for, and doing work that's meaningful for my whole life, whether it's work or mean, you know, not work. The one I really like right now is David Rock's book on your brain at work. I just think that's so interesting. I'm really into neuroscience and understanding the brain because I think that's a whole new area that we haven't been involved in. And, and it has a huge impact on selling and buying and even understanding ourselves and how we're working and how, we're, how we can maximize and optimize our own self in what we're doing. So to me, it's a fascinating topic. And, and your brain at work was probably the one that was the first real kick in the butt for me because I saw it in a business context. Sales tuners, if you'd like to check out Jill's suggestion of I will not die and unlive life for free, head on over to salestuners.com slash book. And there you can sign up for a free 30-day trial of Audible and browse their over 150,000 titles. Again, that's salestuners.com slash book to check out I will not die and unlive life or any of Jill's four books that we've talked about at the top of the show. Jill, what is currently at the top of your bucket list? Going into monk mode for three or four months. I'm really excited because I honestly don't know what the next challenge I want to tackle is in my life. And I'm at the end of a, of a cycle. I'm clear on that. 
And it's like, how can I apply my skills and talents and passions in a way that'll make a bigger difference to the world? What's the biggest piece of advice that you have for all the sales tuners out there grinding today? To keep learning, to not get down on themselves because if they haven't, then if they're struggling right now and if it's not, if they're not where they want to be, they just haven't figured it out yet. I mean, that's really the truth. And keep learning. Don't just allow yourself to get down. Search for options and open your ask questions in terms of who else can help you and where you can find information. None of these tasks that you're facing or challenges that you're facing are impossible. You just haven't figured it out yet. And give yourself that grace. The best way to stay in touch with Jill is through her website, jillconrath.com. I must say, it is incredibly refreshing to talk with someone who is just themselves. Too often, I find salespeople trying to put on a show as if they have to always prove something to someone. But Jill was just real. Let's get to my top takeaways. Number one, understand time to proficiency. Prior to joining a new sales team, find out the average time it takes a rep there to become proficient. This is usually talked about as a time to fully ramped quota, but whether it's three, six, nine, even 12 months, you need to embrace this time to learn. I know salespeople are competitive and typically they think they know everything, but make sure you're using all available resources during this time to map out the sales process. Number two is just that, map out the sales process. Sales is not magic. Obviously, you need to know and understand the product you're selling. But more importantly, you need to understand and master the buyer's disposition. Who are they? What are they currently using? What are the issues and challenges they are facing? What are the business implications of those challenges? Mapping these considerations to your own training and content development prevents you from needing to pull a rabbit out of a hat. Number three, do more than less. As a new rep at any company, you need to do more. You don't have the experience of everyone else on the team, and you need those repetitions to get your feet under you. You need to make more calls to get appointments. You need to run more first appointments to figure out how to convert to the next step. Once you've established these baselines for yourself, then you should make it a goal to do less activities while maintaining the same or better results. That's it. Those are my takeaways, but I'd love to hear yours please tweet at me at sales tuners or shoot me an email, jim at salestuners.com. I reply to every message that I get. All right. I hope to see you next week. Until then, I'm Jim Brown. Let's make it rain. Thanks for listening to Sales Tuners. Stay up to date at www.salestuners.com. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. And they stay there. Why don't you ever see the headline, Psychic Wins Lottery?